Welcome to Running It Back. We're here. Uh, it's Mike Palmer, Tarlin Ray. Tarlin, how are you? Doing well. Nice. Yeah, we're uh, we're doing well, but we're a little saddened by some loss in our lives, and we're gonna run it back a little bit around some of the loss. On the one hand, there's uh, Coach John Thompson, and that's who we're gonna talk about today. And we're gonna talk about uh, run it back to the 1980s and the, the Ewing era, the John Thompson Ewing era at Georgetown College Basketball. But sadly, that wasn't the only loss. Coach Thompson, also Chadwick Bozeman, also uh, known as the Black Panther, Chala, T'Challa, excuse me. A lot of loss, Tarlin. So, uh, so any, any thoughts, words of respect, reflectfulness on your part? Yeah, let's start with Black Panther and to lose these two individuals within a week span is crazy. 2020. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's get out of the 2020s, uh, get out of 2020. But T'Challa had a unbelievable, Black Panther had an unbelievable impact on a lot of kids seeing a superhero that sort of reflects a broader piece of society, reflects African-Americans when they're not used to seeing their superheroes on the big screen and have a movie have such a monumental impact, just not only on the black community, but broadly. Yeah. yeah so don't, don't snooze on Ryan Coogler there too. That was a hell of a, a film, period. A, a, amazing film. But also um, the casting, including Chadwick Boseman. And- to have Chadwick Boseman play that title role and then to look to see the other roles he played where he ended up passing away on Jackie Robinson Day. Mm-hmm. Obviously the man who broke the color barrier in uh, Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. They also played Thurgood Marshall, first black on the Supreme Court. And then he played the, and I'm gonna, is it the King of Soul? Is he the King of Pop? But James Brown, he mm-hmm. played some just iconic. I believe he's the Godfather of Soul. Godfather of Soul, there it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm thinking of, uh, King James. I gotta get LeBron right. James in my head. Right, right. It's He's interesting because the king has a godfather. You know what right. I mean? There's, the godfather doesn't really necessarily have a king. A king. You know? It's a godfather of soul. But more importantly, as everyone was shocked, and I still sitting in my social distancing, sitting in my buddy's backyard mm-hmm. when I saw the, the alert come in, is that he dealt with cancer for the last four years, mm-hmm. was in chemo, was quietly going to visit children in the hospital and didn't tell anyone. Mm -hmm. And to know that there were memes out there where he was looking frail, was not looking well, and they were saying it is Wakanda sometimes, Wakanda maybe. Mm -hmm. It just, you never never know what people are going through. Right, right. You just never do. Mm -hmm. And so it makes even more impressed that he fought through his own health issues Mm -hmm. to put something on screen that we will always we will remember that will, I believe will stand the test of time. Yeah. Huge shout out to the Black Panther. As someone said, we lost the Black Panther and the Black Mamba in 2020. Yeah, right, right. We saw Le- LeBron with the Wakanda, Wakanda Forever uh, salute. Like there are ways in which people can continue to pay respects to, to all these folks. But yeah, sad to lose these folks, but also the way we do them right is to pay the proper respect. And, and I think that's part of the idea behind running it back around Coach Thompson as the, for this show, we try to look at sports for stories that tell us more about what to do in our lives and lessons for us to, to chew on, models for us to, role models. We've talked about that a, a few different ways on the show, but, uh, but Coach John Thompson in, at Georgetown in particular, I think is someone who many thought of as a role model, as a father figure, 
as a leader, as someone who was ready to protest around education reform, which is a really interesting aspect to his history, but also really a cultural icon who established Georgetown as a basketball program, as a Black-operated program with a lot of Black players at a time when there were very few Black coaches out there, and they competed at really the highest level and plenty to talk about both within the the microcosm of the Ewing era, which was certainly a profound time in a lot of ways uh, in terms of lessons learned and then extending really throughout the arc of his career and his life. But yeah, where did you want to go first? What are, what are your thoughts, uh, reflections? Uh, for me, I have my thoughts, but let's begin with you. Thoughts? Yeah. So I love always just in case our listeners uh, are not familiar with John Thompson, let's do the uh, little Wikipedia search so everyone understands who he is before he was a coach three-time high school champion so winner as a player went to providence college they won an nit championship so it was a moribund program and they Mm -hmm. brought it to relevance then went to play for the celtics short stint Mm -hmm. uh, small cup of coffee in the pros but then won two championships backing up bill russell Bill, Bill Russell. Yeah. Now, when you say that, he's back at Bill Russell. We just make sure everyone understands that John Thompson's 6'10". Yeah. Not a small, not a small man. Yeah. Um, Although I will say, I probably could have backed up Bill Russell on those teams and done, <laughs> and done okay. Bill, you, know, Bill, like, you, you tired Bill, yet? You, you sure you can keep going? I'm uh, not very good, but I could go in there. Or sure, just, some, just a moment. Play. We're up, yeah. we're up 30. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it was the years when Bill was, uh, uh, Russell was the player coach. Like, come on, man. Yeah, come on, Bill. Why are you calling your own number so much? Yeah, yeah. Still, still two championships, and then won a championship in '84 at Georgetown. Um, yeah. And the and we talked about this during the setup. The first black coach to win a championship. Yeah. So now to continue beyond that, uh, he did coach one of the national teams in the Olympics. Yeah. He was the last coach to coach only amateurs in the 1998 Olympics, where they lost to a a professional Soviet team yeah. and winning the bronze medal in the next four years later, that's where we got the dream team. Yeah. There, there's his resume, 72% winning percentage, 24 straight seasons into the postseason, whether NIT or yeah. NCAA mm-hmm. and really grew up in the years where we saw the growth of the of March madness from 42 to 53 to 64 teams. Yeah. And really college basketball so the center of college basketball, and I know you're a huge Big East fan, was about yeah. the Big East, and he yeah. fought and led teams in that era. That, that's John Thompson. And just to be clear, too, it may not be on the Wikipedia page, might need to keep digging, but he also graduated 97% of the players who attended his program. So oh, yeah. I, I don't know if that necessarily pops as much as a stat, but I think when Pop, you think pops of, more. Yeah, exactly. Because I think the combination of 97% graduation rate and the fact that many of his players did become professional basketball players. If you look at the success rate in terms of the lives of the, the, the players he touched, even for brief periods of time, like I was looking at the, the Michael Graham story, which is interesting, where he really just had Michael Graham for that one year. But still, after Michael Graham late, years later wins the lottery, one of the first people he calls is Coach Thompson. Because he really was, he was there to really shepherd folks through their lives in a way that was, I guess, ahead of its time, maybe timeless at the same time, but it is rare to see uh, that level of leadership where he's very much invested in the success of of these men he's developing. And uh, they're quite a fraternity, if you think about it, where you go Ewing, Matumbo, Alonzo Mourning, 
Allen Iverson, of course. There's quite a few really legendary players who, who really owe their professional careers and continue. He, he was the guy who they would give the call. They would call him first in, in times of trouble, in times of joy, and really just a profound impact. Um, but yeah, the way I first come at it, though, is as a St. John's kid. So my dad taught a little bit at St. John's. Uh, he taught in Staten Island, not the main campus, but <laughs> close enough. And, and like we pulled for the Carnesecas. He wound up, my dad wound up working with, with Enos Carnesecca, Lou's uh, daughter. So we knew the family a little bit. And St. John's was fun to root for. Back in the day, this is the Chris Mullen era. Point to the sky, Mark Jackson, you take your free throw. Yeah, yeah. Mama, there goes that man. But, uh, but yeah, St. John's, and then these were, this was the rivalry. So from St. John's perspective, Georgetown was the team that we had to beat. And we never quite got over that hump. We almost did in 85, and that was the year that Georgetown beat us. And then Georgetown was upset by Raleigh Massimino and the Villanova Wildcats in probably one of the biggest upsets in NCAA uh, finals. Still, still to this day. History, the yeah. lowest seed ever to beat. Yeah, and then the other, just through that whole Ewing era, like the other year that is, is really fascinating is that first year, his freshman year, which is when Michael Jordan and James Worthy and Coach, Coach Dean Smith of the UNC Tar Heels defeats Ewing and, and John Thompson. In, in a real legendary, had that gone the other way, and it could Jordan, have. Jordan becomes Gordon, right? That was where Jordan became, uh, Jordan changed, free, that's right, he was Mike Jordan prior to hitting that shot, and then after hitting that shot, he, he was suddenly Michael Jordan. And had things broken the other way, who knows what it might have meant to John Thompson's legacy, Patrick Ewing's legacy, because in many ways, Ewing was chasing Jordan for, for the rest of his life, the rest of his career. And also, interestingly enough, Ewing is now head coach at Georgetown. So there is also a legacy within the coaching ranks where John Thompson was able to establish a program where he would keep his people running the program at Georgetown well beyond when he left as head coach back in 1999. So yeah, lots to digest, lots to chew on. Did you want to, what, what, did you want to talk about his Prop 48, Prop 42 stuff? Yeah, so I, I think it, it, we can tie into the 97%, which is to have a graduation rate that high over four years. This is before the one and dones. Mm-hmm. It meant that everyone, the majority of the athletes looked at him as a father figure. Mm-hmm. They like to say that everyone thought their, their name was MFR. He was <laughs> not uh, afraid to, to curse. Yeah. Not afraid to get in someone's ass if they weren't doing what they needed to do on uh, not only the court but also tough, in, tough love, a little bit of a di- disciplinarian, yeah, yeah. But then let's think about before we get to forty-eight because it colors the story a little bit. Georgetown was a cultural icon. You think about way I, AI when he got into the pros, he was yeah. just he was just a movement. Yeah, having and read ton of articles having the Georgetown starter jacket back in the day. Yeah, back in the eighties, it was yeah. as mm-hmm. George as hip hop was on its rise, so mm-hmm. was Georgetown Hoops. And part of the reason for that, and it was very unusual to see, is Georgetown, the majority of their teams are all black. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that sent a signal in itself that whether or not John Thompson say, I'm investing in these young black boys, I'm gonna be, I'm not gonna apologize to anyone in terms of the way that we play, where we play hard nose, we're gonna play rough. Mm-hmm. From the players' words, we were nasty, defensive-minded, in your face. Mm-hmm. Um, some people then took that and flipped that script and said, there are a bunch of hoodlums, yep. there are a bunch of thugs, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and started labeling what would be just basketball played if you're a different race by you know coloring it 
outside the bounds because of who they were. So John Thompson, 6'10". You can't think of John Thompson without thinking about the towel that he had draped over his shoulder and bringing guys that are going to bring the heat every day and play Mm -hmm. aggressive. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I think it's amazing to think about most kids growing up, and I read some articles, they actually thought Georgetown was an HBCU. Yes. For the longest time because they just didn't realize, they just couldn't fathom that you could have that many black kids in, in a school mm-hmm. or playing on, playing on a team. Yeah. So I think it gets to Prop 48, and we covered the NBA boycott, strike. Walkout. Yeah, yeah. Yes, the walkout last week. But one of the things that John Thompson did is really early in his career, he actually walked out of a game in opposition to Prop 48, said that any freshman had to have minimal high school grades and get a certain score on a standard under standardized test as an entrance exam. Mm-hmm. And John Thompson wasn't necessarily boycotting or protesting the high school grades. He was protesting or boycotting or had issues with the standardized testing because he thought the minimal score there was a disadvantaged students especially black and white students from certain areas. Yeah. Underrepresented areas. So he yeah. felt it was it was already immediately stacking the deck against these students that don't have access to tutors. Right. right. Seeing this test for the first time. Yeah. We know that the test makers, ACT, SAT, have been looking at natural biases and the sure. language and the questions. So imagine right. this is right. in the eighties. Mm-hmm. And so talk about Thompson being willing to say, that's my team on the floor, being the early one of the early coaches say, I'm comfortable. I want to, I'm going to ride with an all black team and we're going to be who we are. Mm-hmm. He also was willing to stand up for what he thought was not right. And yeah. oftentimes people knowing if he stood for things that aren't right, that may rub people the wrong way, but he didn't care. Right. Right. And he was good enough to back it up too, which is the, the other piece. I think the, the other thing I heard around his walkout was that it was in particular was tied to uh, it's one thing being declared academically ineligible due to low scores, but it's also, when that was combined with losing their scholarship, losing their financial aid, that was where he really did draw the line, where it's one thing, because he did really value the graduation rate, the idea that these kids need help to get their degree, he could tolerate that. But when he saw that they would also then lose their uh, financial support, which is really the only way a lot of these kids would actually be able to pay for the, the relatively expensive private tuition of Georgetown, that was where he walked out. And it's, it's pretty, we've seen a lot of video of, of people walking out lately. It is, there's still footage of him leaving the court where like he, he walks off the court, uh, I think it was in 1989 to, to protest this. And that's where a little run in a back connection was made in my mind too, where like nowadays, I think there's a lot more recognition of that type of activity or people are thinking more about that type of stuff. But that's a lot of courage to be doing this type of thing back in the day. And, and yeah, I think that's uh, courage is very much a uh, part of who, who he was. And also the other thing is just remembering him. You were at the sweater game, Tarlin. That was the other thing we were prepping. Talk about burying the lead, like the, the sweater game famously, uh, Lou Cardaseca had his lucky sweater that he was wearing. And then John Thompson showed up in Madison square garden and almost like Superman revealed his, Cam Newton meets Superman meets uh, coach Thompson revealed his Luke Karnasek tacky sweater underneath and uh, and they thumped him pretty good. So you were at the sweater game. Yeah. So born and raised in LA, lived in uh, Westchester for two years growing up and 
it was just after my birthday. I think it was February. Mm-hmm. I had an opportunity to go to the St. John's Georgetown game at Madison Square Garden. Now, as a kid, you're not focused on a sweater. You're just focused on the fact that you're seeing Mullen, Jackson. Yeah, yeah you're in the Wayne. garden. That's great, the Mecca. Great game the, the after, Mecca. Yeah. after St. John's had, had beaten Georgetown by a point on Georgetown's home court. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was an awesome game. Yeah. And awesome just to see just going to an imposing figure. Oh. Mullen's jumper was wet. Just really talented guys on the floor. Especially great to see Georgetown after they had won the national championship in 84. Mm-hmm. And they were on a little bit of a run to see if they could do it again. So and that, and that scene, those teams met again in the final four and Georgetown beat St. John's in the final four to go to play Villanova. Yeah. Georgetown beat St. John's 77 to 59. I wasn't even close. So they, the last two games, they blew St. John's out. It wasn't even yeah. close. The 1985 season. So the Ewing years, they go on a run Ewing in 1982 loses his freshman year. And I still remember that game. I think he had like four or five goaltending. Five, five goal, five goaltends in the first half. It was and, that was, like, and you know who told them to do that? John Thompson. Yeah. Just, it was, it's called the Intima. Yeah. You intimate someone. Here's another Intima. Here's yeah, yeah. another Intima. Don't yeah. come. Don't, do not. In my house. In. You're in my house. And he played defense like you were in his house. I have seen, like, you know, just to, you can't talk about John Thompson without a little bit about the big fella, right? A little bit of Patrick Ewing. And he was just a force of nature. Like, as a freshman, he was playing against James Worthy, Sam Perkins, Michael Jordan, Dean Smith coached. This is out of nowhere. John Thompson puts together this team. They were okay the year before. And then he pulls in clearly the top talent in the country as a freshman. And then they make it all the way to the finals. And then keep in mind, Dean Smith had not won an NCAA championship to that point in his career either. So he's still trying to prove himself. Had they just edged that game out, had Freddie just not thrown the ball to the wrong guy. It feels like a quantum leap episode, Charlie, where I feel like Scott Bakula Beam down into it's Freddie Brown, right? Freddie Brown's the guy who threw the ball to James Worthy. So after Jordan hits his shot, it does feel like somebody sent somebody back in time just to mess with the end of that game. Like, why did Freddie Brown throw the ball this week on running it back? Why did Freddie Brown throw the ball to James Worthy? Is so charismatic. Is it like felt like the colors of the the colors of the uniforms were off that night, or there was. Were there laser pointers? Like, what happened? I don't so, know. I don't know. But anyways, please, let's read it back in. So, so the 82 moment for me, Yeah. and you bring up Freddie Brown. I think it's important to bring up immediately after the game, John Thompson goes to Freddie Brown and he's, he's putting his arm around him, consoling him. Yeah. Um, a lot of coaches will be, and this is the Bobby Knight era, probably going just apeshit. Yeah. Fast forward two years. Now they're champions in 84. And same picture. Yeah. Tom Thompson's got his arms around Freddie Brown, yeah. just, you know, this time not consoling him, but celebrating. Yeah. And so he says a lot about him as a coach. Mm-hmm. It didn't, whether it was the worst moment of his, of Freddie Brown's life or the best, yeah. he was still the same guy. And that's yeah. why Alan Iverson in his Hall of Fame speech mm-hmm. thanked him for saving his life. Yeah. That people, as you mentioned, that might have cycled through Michael Graham, cycled through only for a year, yeah. still are some of their first calls are to John Thompson. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So 
there are a couple of moments that I thought were interesting. The other one, I just want to bring up 85 because people call it the perfect game for Villanova and each seed definitely weren't as talented as Georgetown. Mm-hmm. They were ecstatic that they beat St. John's because they were, they were like, there's no way we can match up against St. John's. But for some reason, Pickney and that group, they liked playing against Georgetown. Yeah. Villanova shot 79% yeah. in the game. But there's an interesting story that came out after – Two years after the season, Dwayne McLean, who was a starting point guard for Villanova, a long story in SI about his cocaine abuse mm-hmm. during that season mm-hmm. and how he was high at the White House and even high in the semifinal game, how his player, other players knew, and even the coach, mm-hmm. Raleigh Massimino. And so I started thinking about that, and who knows what's true. Some of it's got to be a little true in the, on the ether, yeah. but there was a the moment where John Thompson, when confronted with his players, one of them being Alonzo Mourning, interacting with and hanging out with what is one of the bigger drug lords in D.C., mm-hmm. Rayful Edmund, John Thompson took it upon himself, all 6'10", so be a little yeah. different, yeah. and confronted him, put his finger in his face, and basically said, you need to stay away from my players. And many will say that is the only time someone has confronted Rayful Edmonds and left, uh, and was able to survive. Right, now, right. Well, now we're comparing Raleigh and John. I just want to keep coming back to he did what he thought was right for his players, mm-hmm. not for the players and necessarily what they may produce at that moment on the court, mm-hmm. but for who they were as individuals. It's why he held what they called mental practices, where he just talked about current events mm-hmm. and not getting more reps on the court. So I just that juxtaposition was interesting to me. It helped put Villanova on the map. They're the 85 yeah. champs. Yeah. But do you believe, but let's think about the lives that Thompson saved. Zoe is a Hall of Famer. He mm-hmm. went on to have an amazing career. And mm-hmm. whoever else was hanging out with that drug lord? Yeah. I just digging a little deeper, got a chance to appreciate Thompson just a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. And, and yeah, and then the idea that he'll take a chance on, on folks who otherwise may not have had an opportunity, as you were mentioning, whether it's Iverson, Michael Graham, he sees something in these players, I think is also uh, something to think about from a leadership perspective as well. And also in these, this day and age around making employment choices, making hiring choices, he was willing to take a risk on folks and was able to, to really see tremendous return on some of the chances that he took. And then also when those folks had trouble it wasn't so much that he was just there for the upside of things. When they were having tough times, he was there for them as well. So I think it is just the thing that I'm curious about now, and again, shout out to the Black Athlete podcast. They they did an interesting show on the same topic, but the question of who can fill the role that John Thompson played in his day, in this day and age, I think is an interesting question. Doc Rivers, in a different way, I think is beginning to assert a voice that is, is sorely needed in these issues that we're all confronting as a country and and certainly basketball players are front and center in terms of how they're dealing with it. So the voice of the coach, I think Doc is out there now in a way that perhaps John Thompson might've been in his day, although obviously it's different, but uh, any other thoughts on voices that might be out there these days? Cause it does seem it's another reason why it's really sad to see folks like him and John Lewis and Chadwick Boseman go. Cause like you do wonder who will Who's the next man up? Who's going to pick up next woman up? Who's the next voice 
who might be able to fill the void. I just think it's a good, it's a good thing to reflect on because if there's no single voice out there, how do we at least encourage the conversation? Yeah, so it's interesting. I want to let this tie in voice and style because I actually was trying yeah. to do this, mm-hmm. play this exercise. There are a couple of coaches in NFL, Flores in Miami, Tomlin a little bit. And Tomlin, I was thinking, yeah. Tomlin was, a little bit, yeah, Steelers. Yeah. Yeah. Anthony Lynn for the Chargers, mm-hmm. just a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think Doc is a great call mm-hmm. only because, and we've covered blackball on this show because yeah. what he went through in 2014 and then what he's, the vulnerability he's showing now. Yeah. The thing though, we have to remember what Thompson did is not only his activism, but if he just look at the coach, mm-hmm. it's the imprint that he put, the style mm-hmm. that he put out, the, that he was willing to, in the same way he stood on island with Prop 48 and yeah. walk, in the walkout, which we've talked about, Mahmoud yeah. Abdul. Yeah. It was massively super brave and impressive. The Georgetown style, no one replicated. That then spawned in the Jerry Tar- Tarkanian running Rebels. Which yeah, yeah. Replicate, which mm-hmm. then spawned the Fab Five, which no yeah. one replicated, which then spawned the 40 minutes of hell from the Arkansas Razorbacks and Nola Richmond, no yeah. one replicated. A lot, a lot of black socks. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. A lot of black socks. I did. I'd love to hear. Let's now have our tangent. <laughs> My senior high school. Yeah. One of our rivals. Yeah. Brentwood high school. We decided and James Daniels, God rest his soul. He just passed in 2020 this year. Uh, I've known him since we were four years old. Oh wow! He was actually Georgetown 92, 96. So he was, at Georgetown in the Allen Iverson, Victor Page era. And he got wow. to see all that mess. Yeah, yeah. It was his idea to wear black socks going into our 91. With Niocene yeah, I was about, I was about to peg it. 91 was like, I, I was a little older, but that was the, you're wearing black socks. Oh, in yeah. So, yeah. So it was a January game, all black socked. Yeah. I started the game one for 10. Mm-hmm. I missed four bunnies mm. and we were down 20. Now, we end up clawing back, still lost by 15. Yeah. I, I pinned this guy who I just couldn't stand. I pinned his – I literally pinned – it was the worst block I've seen. I just pinned that shot a mile away. I went for 25, but it was awful. Right. So, black socks. I haven't worn black socks. Oh, at really? Least, at least the high – the mid-cap black socks. Yeah. It was hard for me. I just can't shake that. They're not really shooting socks, I don't think. No. You know so, what I mean? Like, this is a total tangent – this this will be a whole other. Oh, you you brought up. Yeah, I can't, yeah. You, I have to go. It's deep good. It's the... good. It's good. So I'm gonna pull us back. Yeah, yeah. So from a stylistic, mm-hmm. think about Doc. He's still mm-hmm. playing. I think yeah. he's still playing natural game. But the person who has a little Thompson from hey, this is the way my teams play, is Dan Tony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he's playing a game that no one else is playing. It's not. Talk, it's talk not about a crossover. Yeah, you just went from, John, went from John Thompson to Mike D'Antoni. But I'm talking about style. No, I'm I know, I know. I'm just saying. He's putting a style out there Yeah. that if you look at college basketball, tell me someone who's playing. I've been, I was searching, like, who's playing a game that's different? Now, to keep it in college basketball, it's Shaka Smart yes. from mm-hmm. Virginia Commonwealth. Yeah. That, to me, was the closest where these guys came from nowhere and played a style that no one could handle. Yeah. But I was just trying to now he went to I see. coaching development. I'm talking about coaching. Yeah. You talk about activism. Style I was style of play. Style of play. I was talking play. about a style of play where yeah. no one it was so different. Yeah. That's why I was talking about the Fab Five was they played so yeah. different. 
Well, I agree. Well, the, I, I'm with you. Yeah. And I get like the idea though, I think also was that there was a cultural aspect to the style of play that I don't think Dan Tony is no, tied not in any sort no. of way. So that's where to me, the players were consistent with his culture and his coaching staff was consistent with his culture. And the, the style of play was and the way in which he was comfortable intimidating the other side if needed. He was a competitor and he was going to do what was needed to win. And he then stood he stood on island. He stood on island saying, this is where we're going to play. I don't yeah. care what anyone says. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. You got to find, it's not many coaches. Yeah. You don't lose your job if you do the X's and O's the same way. I'm, I'm pushing us yeah. to find in the same way the, the lone people who will take a knee, not stand. Yeah, yeah walk out because they believe uh, Prop 48 and other things are, yeah. are massively, they're disenfranchising some of, the, some of their students. Yeah. Let's focus on those that are willing to stand on island. That's why the Antonio is a total tangent, but he, he went from the Suns, he got fired because he's willing to play crazy game. No, yeah. he's not John Thompson. Right. If you get a small clip of this, he's not John Thompson. <laughs> but I'm just saying, just like Jocko Smart, I, I, I couldn't find someone that, that did that. Yeah, I, cultural imprint. Nike yeah. sold more Georgetown gear during his era than they've ever sold. It was a moneymaker yeah. for him. Yeah, and, and I think sometimes we lose a voice that's not going to quickly be replaced. And that's where, sadly, we've seen a lot of that loss this year in particular. And, and I think it's a bit of a call to action, too, just to try to find more voices, give people more platforms, uh, try to hear what they have to say. So yeah, we're going to try to be true to some of these examples, uh, some of these role models, father figures that are out there. Any final uh, parting words, uh, Tarlin, as we wrap up today's episode? So just so everyone knows, and we appreciate everyone listening, the D'Antoni call was a setup so we can finally have our Jeremy Lin show. And as the Harvard grad, the only reason he had a thriving career is he was playing in that run and gun system. So stay tuned. It's coming. All right. Thanks again for listening. Uh, we'll be back again soon on Running It Back.